the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, part two of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics is looking back at uh, the big stories of 2021 with our panel of political pundits on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee <clears throat> County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And joining us uh, for this look back is American Schism author, Seth David Radwell. Seth, welcome back. Thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure to be with you. I really enjoy the show. Um and I want to mention, we're doing our look back at 2021 this week, because next week we won't be convening. Um, for the whole week between Christmas and New Year's, uh, it's it's all going to be looks back at 2021. And uh, for Wednesday, for Armchair Politics, we're going to uh, replay Armchair Politics from Hell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which which is where we actually did the show in Hell, Michigan, at the Hell Saloon. It's a, it's a good way to wind up the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Well, hell. we we did that for uh, for Halloween, and there were a couple of glitches that were repaired for later replays of the show. But you'll be able to hear the whole show from Halloween in entirety next Wednesday, which means you guys don't have to sit by the phone next Wednesday. And um, and and I'm doing something kind of interesting on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I went back through the calendar, and for Monday, I picked all. I picked a highlight from the nine o'clock hour on Mondays. You know, I went through all the Mondays at nine o'clock yeah. and picked one, and then I did the same thing at ten o'clock, 
and and I did that for Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So they're highlights from 2021, but appropriate to the day and hour that they're well, that's playing. That's good. That's good. Which is just that's kind great. of an odd. Uh, odd way to, to group it and then i'm i'm doing a special for uh new year's eve but um but it means basically i get a week off which i haven't had in a long time and it'll still be uh, kind of fun to look back and and some of these are pretty high profile and pretty interesting uh guests uh dennis kucinich and uh, uh sergeant shriver's son mark oh. um there are quite a few Pretty interesting ones. Um, oh, John sounds Hart. Like, sounds and, like it. Let's see. Who else have we got? Oh, Jack Lessonberry. Kathy Reichs, right. who was uh, uh, the the uh, forensic anthropologist on which the uh, Fox uh, TV show Bones was based on. Oh, oh, yeah. And... Uh, who else? Oh, Brad Benedict, who stars in uh, Tyler Perry's The Oval. And, and, and that's just a few next week that are highlights from this past year. Um, but uh, as we were wrapping up the first half of Armchair Politics today, we were working our way. We were a little better than halfway through Seth 7. I told you, every every time it gets harder to say, Seth's 7. Um <laughs> And we were talking about uh, the international role of the U.S. in the post-Afghanistan era. And, and I think we'll go ahead and, and, and move on to one that's kind of my, one of my favorite topics. And, and it's not just from 2021, but over the last several years. I don't want to blame it all on, on uh, Donald Trump and, and uh, fake news and alternative facts. But... Um, Coming in at number five on Seth's seven is facts versus fiction. Why is truth being tested in every major news story? And I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, first of all, have Seth uh, set this up a little bit and, and get everybody to weigh in. Well, it, it just seems to me that, uh, that every issue that's topical today is at first and immediately placed into some political context as opposed to being discussed for based on the data and the facts. It's as if uh, everyone's allowed to have their own truth and objective truth no longer exists. And I just think that that's so dangerous for, for our society. I remember uh, a comedian, it, it, it might have even been George Carlin, um, you know, many years ago, um, talking about the checkout line and paper versus plastic, and he says, "Why don't they just ask you, Republican or Democrat?" <laughs> and and, yeah. and I and I bring that back because and and Paul has raised this uh, question several times uh, over the last year. How did masks and vaccine become political? Yes. Right. I think I think that's the great question to me. It's it's amazing to me that American ingenuity led us to create it within a, a year a vaccine platform that used to take us ten years, you know, many many years to develop. It's really a boost and an indication of how terrific our innovation system is, and yet we're spending most of our time arguing about it, and, and it's become so political, and that's a shame to me. The same way, and this is not, this is not new. I think you mentioned Tom. I mean. I don't see why uh, um, uh, 
and this is going to get me in trouble here, but I don't see why sensible uh, gun legislation is not uh, basically supported by everyone. In other words, I I know we have a Second Amendment, but clearly we have a problem with guns falling into the hands of people who shouldn't have them. And what do we do about it? So those things like that, where I think there's common sense and there are facts, and it seems like they're never... They, they don't count as much, or, or the political aspect is what counts. Yeah, you asked the question about why uh, did the mask and COVID become such political issues? Well, that was raised uh, on the national platform between leaders, one a political leader and one a, a um, medical person, authority. And somehow we began to converge those two issues. And people took off with them as in a political way to uh, explain their positions and but to this support is, their side. But this yeah. has um, become really strange, and I wonder if it's sort of fallout from from social media and, and even before that, that niche marketing. Uh, you know, there have probably always been uh, people that pushed back against the idea of being told to wear a mask or told they had to take a vaccine. But there would be some Republicans and some Democrats in that group. This yes. idea that, that somehow Democrats wear masks and Republicans don't is a, a really weird twist of... of uh, it is, yeah. Uh, of, of you know, separation. you have to go to a Republican fundraiser and look at all of the people sit around the table. Yeah, and then you go to the Democrat. Yeah. You know, they should to show up. It's embarrassing to go to one where you're the only one with a mask on. Yeah, yeah. Did anybody see the story to show how strange this is getting? When I, I think Trump had an interview within the last week or so, where he mentioned that he had gotten the booster. Yeah. And this, he was speaking to his own supporters in large part, but he got booed by his own supporters yeah. because, <laughs> I mean, it's just a bizarre kind of scenario. Well, and uh, you know, know what the irony is, is that Republicans survived, despite of all of the protests uh, for people not wearing masks. And these guys survived just like uh, bad weeds, you know. And that says something, that politically changes the platform. Richard Williams was on the show a few weeks ago, and he was, um, he worked at the uh, Food and Drug Administration and was their point man for Operation Warp Speed. And he said some very interesting things about Donald Trump. They're not the things you typically hear from people inside or outside of uh, the bubble. He said he, he was in meetings frequently with the president in the Oval Office and that President Trump was so accommodating and supportive to make sure that these people working on Operation Warp Speed had everything that they needed and he went along with everything that they asked for. And, and, and I asked him, I said, that's so different from the Trump we saw in the spotlight who was acting like this thing wasn't right. even real. 
and and he said yeah that used to bug us but when it came down to being a good leader and and giving us what we needed and encouraging us to do what was right he was right there and i thought what an interesting take because that's not the donald trump we know right yeah interesting yeah anyway i was kind of fascinated by it um and and i i this whole thing about uh about facts versus fiction is is really troubling and i've talked to a lot of people who are in either the healthcare field or the the world of science and exploration and so on and i ask them how they feel when people are doubting science <laughs> and um What's funny is the science people say, "Well, that's what you're supposed to do." Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, science yeah. is. Is you there, know, there is no final answer in science. There's always a possibility. Yeah, it's of just to keep testing and, and keep testing. Sure. Yeah, and that's then, a process, not an endpoint. Science is a continuous process. How yeah, we I, believe today about nature and about uh, natural laws will change in another generation. Because of we, we learn more. We have a constitution of knowledge that's built up cumulatively based on the scientific method of testing and empirical observation. So any, hypo any hypothesis can be thrown out there. The question is, the people who, should, who review it, are, are, they do so in a transparent and open way so that everybody could see their results. Well, that's what made the Europeans dominant in their thought in the 16th and 17th century. They took it out and they had contests. They loved a good debate. And they, loved mm -hmm. uh, they loved facts. They loved to strive for facts. And they would, uh, they would discourage any kind of uh, uh, nonsense that you bring to the table. They wanted people who could back up what they say and prove it. And then as, I say, they would as I say in the... As I say in the book, Harry, it's it's part it's part of, and I think this this is very much along what what Henry just said. It's it's part of our Enlightenment inheritance. Ever since the Enlightenment, the role of empirical data and reason have have dominated the conversation. Not that people don't have faith and spiritual beliefs, but in in the civic realm, it, it's those things that, that that really count. True. And the world has grown to accept that. You don't see anybody debating against the 16th and 17th century Renaissance. Everybody joined in. They accept it as part of theirs now. Well, it serves theirs. us well. Sir, if you look at the stats, 250 years ago, life expectancy was 30 years. Today, it's over 70. I mean, the sci that's, that method of using a scientific approach has served humanity quite well. Yes. Well, on that note, we need to take a short break, but we still have uh, uh, items six and seven from Seth's seven uh, when we come back. And we're going to uh, bounce around a little bit uh, on, on some stories that we talked about on armchair politics during 2021. Plus, we're going to remember some people we lost, both locally and uh nationally during 2021 when uh, when we come back with more armchair politics on the tom sumner program so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse there's more straight ahead 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. And the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, author Seth Radwell. And um, we're, we're going to continue with Seth's seven. We're uh, up to uh, numbers six and seven. Um, and then we'll look back at uh, 2021 from through the lens of armchair politics. And we also have uh, kind of an in memoriam, which will be uh, substituted for our usual X-Files segment. Um, but uh, but I do want to mention a couple of shows coming up. The, the rest of this week, um, tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock during the second and third hour, we have a two-hour look back for the 25th anniversary of the killing of John Benet Ramsey. And there is a um, uh, forensic tech videographer, Roscoe Clark, who has been involved in this for at least a decade. And he's been on the show a few times, and he claims that there is some new information. And uh, it was uh, 25 years ago, Christmas, that um, the six-year-old beauty pageant queen was uh, killed in her home in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, and we've done a couple of shows on uh, the ongoing investigation over the years and some of the political corruption in Boulder and all of that. So it should be fairly interesting. And everything you ever wanted to know about Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. Uh, Coming up Friday, journalist and author uh, Tom German has written a book called Santa Claus Worldwide, A History of St. Nicholas and Other Holiday Gift Bringers. (laughs) Anyway... There, there will be a lot uh, lot more stuff on the uh, Christmas Eve show coming up Friday as well. But getting back to Seth's 7, as we look back at uh, 2021 today, is uh, building our country for the next century, Biden's infrastructure bill. And we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the show today uh, when we were talking about quotes and so on. But um, do you want to set this up, Seth, and, and why you uh, picked this as, as one of your seven top stories from 2021? Well, you know, one of my fears over the past couple of years is that as we as Americans fight with each other, uh, as we so often do, and as rancor and acrimony crowd out uh, logical thinking, we're watching other countries like China build infrastructure. And we need to build infrastructure as well. <laughs> and as a business person, I think you know making good investments in America's future is really important. And this, it's quite clear that we have infrastructure problems, whether it's roads, roads and bridges and tunnels, or or information highways. We have problems. And so I thought Biden's infrastructure bill, which was bipartisan, 
to some degree with a caveat, and I'll come back, was a great achievement, and yet we didn't seem to celebrate it much. It again became political. Like everything does, it does seem. To, and again, infrastructure is one of those things that typically in the past had always been a a relatively bipartisan issue, and <clears throat> there was a little bit of that this time. But even then, it was a hard sell. Well, hard and, sell. and in your book, um, Seth, you you talk about Alexander Hamilton's role in the building of infrastructure early in the country's history, but you also point out how other presidents have tackled infrastructure. Um, FDR and, and yeah. LBJ, and I've always um, I've been under the impression that um, while they're both very different people in terms of how they come across to people, there are some real similarities between Biden and LBJ because of the length of time they spent in the Senate and knowing how things work and how to get things done. And and I um, am a little surprised that. Uh, Biden is is struggling to get the numbers he needs. I, I, I don't think LBJ would have struggled in quite the same way. Yeah. <laughs> but times have changed. Yeah, LBJ yeah, had a huge majority after the 64 and election. He had a huge majority in the Senate. Yeah, and not only that, the people, too. Americans were more right. together then. They worked, they worked better together. Yeah, they worked they for did. the country's interest. And of course, the 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 toughest one of all, um, Seth saved for seven, and that is uh, the great contradiction of America's founding racial inequality. Mm. It's I just think it's so important. If I could set this up, is that you know I've, I've spent so much of the past four years reading about our founding and, and about the Enlightenment and our early history and. You know, the Declaration of Independence, in my mind, is the most radical document ever written for its time, stating that all men are created equal. And that was the promise of the country, and yet uh, racial inequality, starting with slavery, a chattel slavery in the early part of our country, has been really one of the major themes. And even when we've achieved, let's call it a de jure racial equality, the, the, uh, the facts on the ground have often been different. And that, that is something that as Americans, I think we have to embrace both the great parts of our history and where we've fallen short. Well, and that's and that's a that's a tough one. And you know, when we look back, it it really casts a shadow over what um, we have celebrated for a couple hundred years was a great vision. This notion that all men are created equal, because it. it it could have been portrayed as fake news. Well, <laughs> even if you go back even beyond the creation of the Constitution, there was no equality anywhere in the world. There was no love of people who loved each other. This was an experiment. This was something that uh, would grow as people grew and gave them an opportunity to create a more perfect union. I didn't you know, say they did anything wrong, but the people in the 16th and 17th century, what they did, they looked around, they characterized, they theorized, they characterized, they classified everything in the world, even the atoms out of which everything is made. They found them, identified, and classified them. 
And they did human beings the same way. And the alphas and betas and alpha pluses and gammas and epsilons and things like that. So that was how it was. These were the, they had no idea of where this was going to lead them, but they did what they did to create a world that they could explain and could uh, move around and could make better if they could through these classifications. However, they did it. I, I don't think that it was intent to be as as distracted as it was. We have done that, and not all people were what you call supremacists. Now. There's no way the white people in the world cannot be part of that discussion. They are white. They did come out of Europe. And now they, they can't accept it because everybody else in the world is downgrading them. And, I, you know, uh, there's something wrong with that. And we need to correct that. But first of all, whites have to admit that they, they did classify people. And they kind of created some of the discussion that we... And I think that, that many of them are trying to do that. But there, there are those, as Madison has pointed out, who have problems with that. So we just need to continue working at it until we find a more perfect union. You know, I think you make a good point, Henry. And I, as Seth said, I think in many ways a truly great country is one who can... Uh, you know, obviously celebrate its great successes, but can also own up to its great failures. That's what they need to do. Own up to it. Yeah. And this stuff will go away. And only the people who are known as supremacists in the world today are telling the truth. See, where's even a fifth grader knows that. Sorry. Well, what I would say is that I think we can learn from our shortcomings. I mean, in my mind, one of the the greatest aspects of Lincoln's presidency, uh, which is not as told as much as the emancipation and the the, the war, is that he made uh, the promise of the declaration first the the, the preeminent. In other words, basically the promise of the declaration is as such that we're we're government that is a a self-governed people or government of the people and that all men are created equal. And the Constitution was meant to be amended. So we have to perfect it, to your point, Henry. We have to, we have to fix what's wrong to move forward. He saw it as a living and breathing experiment that needed to be improved, as he said in the second inaugural address. So it's a, to, to me, that's the model. We, we've got to continually improve. I, I remember being somewhat encouraged when... Uh, then-President uh, Barack Obama was talking about race, which he kind of tried to avoid. He didn't want to make his presidency all about that. Um, but but he did have to confront it from time to time. And I thought when he said that America is a work in progress, I yes. thought that was such an elegant way to, True. to to deal with the fact that we have very lofty goals and we've got some skeletons in our closet. He reiterated what Madison said and what the Constitution, yes. the, the, the people who wrote the Bacillus paper, they said, oh, we're not perfect, guys. We've got to grow into that. We want to reach the threshold of perfection somewhere out there. 
And, and I think that we have, as Americans, we have an ideal that we have to never achieve, but we have to work towards. And, and though that's what I, what I was describing before, our example of self-government and our meritocracy, they're far from perfect. We, we, don't, we, we have holes. Not everyone is, has the same equality of opportunity. We, I can go on and on, and I, I do discuss these things in American schism, but, but we have to look at them as ideals that we have to work towards. Yes. And, and, and the other thing I would say is it's not a given. We, it's not gonna, in other words, our, our model is not going to stay here unless we work at it. As Benjamin Franklin famously said, it's a, when he was asked after the convention, the Constitutional Convention, he said it's a republic if you can keep it. Exactly. Yeah, we, we are a work in progress. It's an or, unfinished dream. Or Winston yeah. Churchill when he said uh, democracy is the worst form of government except <laughs> for all the others. Right, right. <laughs> he was a comedian, wasn't he? He kind of was. He kind of was. Um, well, I thought uh, in the in the remaining uh, ten minutes or so, uh, up to the next break, I'd bring up and and allow uh, Paul and Henry to bring up some of the things that they thought were were big stories. Now, some of the ones that that I picked out from armchair politics over the last year um, are are a little little tongue in cheek. Like like for example, we were talking about the the first hundred days and all the dramatic things and the big freeze in Texas. But we didn't mention when we were talking about Texas and those rolling power outages or when I brought it up, where Texas Senator Ted Cruz was. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 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 yeah, he cleaned that up really well. He did. He came back and said, "Well, guys, I'm sorry, I was caught uh, <laughs> not thinking," which is a characteristic of all of, all of Congress. Right. And, right. and another one that I thought was kind of interesting on a on a couple of uh, different fronts was in April, um, the return of uh, Flint's Santa Claus display to City Hall. Oh, that's right. That's right. That, that was that was. Uh, it was sold, sold off the, uh, the emergency manager area here in Flint. That's right. And some people bought it at auction, hung on to it, and then brought it back and gave it back to the city, which then raises the question, and it's on display now, is um, somehow in the wake of, uh, or in the ongoing wake of, of the pandemic, people seem a little desensitized to religious display. Um, I expected as soon as they put the, the Santa Claus display out there at City Hall that people would start pushing back, and we really haven't seen any of that. Yeah, that's true, I guess, <laughs> although Santa Claus is only slightly religious, I guess, compared to you know a, a crest scene or something like that that is, often raises those issues. But it may be a sign of maybe something coming back. You know, after the, all the emergency managers we've had, a sign of something com coming back in Flint. Although, when you take a look at the last election for the Flint City Council and some of the meetings since then, you're kind of wondering whether very much has really changed. Well, and and again, you know, I talk about all the weird things that happened in January. Um, well, actually, this didn't happen till toward the end of the year. Um, their their election, the city council election in November, and 
as soon as they got a new council picked, and for the first time it's a majority women, um, six out of the nine are basically freshmen, um, and they were so anxious to get going that uh, they held their swearing-in ceremony before the election was certified. (laughs) That's right. One of the things I'd like to mention is... um, the 1619 project, how it has uh, caught the attention of the American people. And it did not go to the, the choir. It went out to people who needed to hear that by Hannah Jones. It was well-conceived, it was well-written, and it was provocative enough to get the people who believed in the 16th and 17th century, who were really thinkers, they got them involved in it. And they believe this gave roots to the critical race theory. Right. Now, uh, so uh, here you have African Americans with that kind of erudition now competing with the intellect of Europe during the 16th, 17th century. And we also have the Hamilton event where people are going back and taking a look at what all of this means. Now, unless you understand the history and you understand the reality that you live in, you don't count. But you've got to get into that reality to change moods and how people look at things and how to, to appreciate that. And you I, make I, a good I, point, I think, I, You know, I, I think what she did, Hannah Jones did, was... It was good for the country. It was good for the world. And it raised the platform for many people of color. Yeah, yeah. You know, Henry, my thought in terms of both critical race theory and the 1619 Project, for, for all the critics, and there's a lot of critics who say, oh, it's going to make people hate each other and all the rest. I mean, the fact is it's another important thread of American history. And yeah. like, like many other histories, it's not the whole story. I mean, military history is important, but it's not the whole story. A political history is important, but it's not the whole story. And, you know, art history is important, but it's not the whole story. And the same thing is true for, for this. This is a critical part of our history that we've ignored for the past. And uh, we will absorb it as part of our history. And if we're honest about it, we'll take a, a serious look at what, kind, what we've done in that area, both good and bad, for the last uh, 400 years. That's but the irony of all of this, it, it kind of made... White, and particularly the white male, it has silenced him. Oh, yeah. And we don't, we don't want to do that. That's where you're getting the backlash that, that and is, stuff. Yeah. You don't want to do that because that's counterproductive uh, because people will begin to work underground and against you and won't let you grow. But if you give a good argument, people from the 16th and 17th century would love to have had Hannah Jones there because she, she, she could think. Mm-hmm. Think across mm-hmm. the spectrum. She could line up with them. He had that kind of acuity, mental acuity that they loved. Paul, what yeah. do you think were were the the big stories um, in in Michigan in twenty twenty one? Oh, let's see here. I I suppose um, the, well, here in Flint, of course, the, 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 the city council election. Yeah, and then some of the trials that followed around the, around the governors, the assaults against the governor, those are still going on in some way. 
would be another statewide issue, I think, in large part. Talking about her, uh, the right to declare emergency and, and the right, right to declare emergency, yeah. the attempts to kidnap her, and some of the some of the various protests around the state capitol that were looked upon in many ways as kind of rehearsal for January 6th. Now, some of those began in 2020, but they overlapped into, into it began in, in, in 20 and overlapped into 21. But I think the trials have been going on during much of 21. So I think that's, and I think that's, I think the governor emerged as kind of a a leading figure, for better or worse, in that area because of the strong role she played with the pandemic and the strong reaction against her. And like I say, the the threats against her and the attempts to kidnap her, apparently, uh, that were just unique in terms of American history. But I see the governor going from a tough governor, not listening to anyone, uh, just completely desecrating the Republicans in the Senate, who has changed her strategy. If you look at what she is saying now, uh, she wants Republicans to join her. Oh, yeah, so they that's can work true. together that to solve true. problems. Now, that's a complete reversal in strategy. That will work. But she can't listen to all of the folks back home who want to keep the fights going on. The tail should never wag the head. And uh, I believe that she, uh, she's changing and she's getting my attention anyway. So, and so is Dana Nessel. True. Yeah. I, I was trying to remember who was the. Um the governor right after uh, right after Blanchard, Republican from the west side of the state. Um, um, that was um, the one that said on the uh, John, Engler. Engler. John Engler. John Engler. Yeah, I, in, on the Michigan State Board. In in a way, Gretchen Whitmer has sort of um, done an Engler. You know, when he came in, he was very tough. He cut everything for everybody by 40%, you know, and, and all within the first 100 days. And then he spent the rest of his term being the nicest, easiest guy to get along with. <laughs> you could possibly That's imagine. the way you want to do it. People soon forget. <laughs> and, 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 and in some ways, it seems like, uh, like Governor Whitmer might be working from the angler playbook a little bit that could be of course the, <laughs> often the rule is is, is do, the, do the tough stuff in the first hundred days so people forget about it by the time your re-election rolls around <laughs> uh, exactly uh, that's 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 my point i think and and in a way the pandemic kind of um provided a vehicle for that for her it did you know angler you know he was um berated you know for some of his things remember the yes. the the Gwyndon cartoon of governor angler in front of the detroit institute of arts kicking a puppy oh yes yes <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> and you know gretchen whitmer was able to carry out being a very tough governor in a way that was about public health and safety and not, yeah. and not about cutting budgets and, and all of that. Anyway, we have to take a short break, and uh, we will be back instead of with the X-Files, where we usually uh, talk about those weird and wacky stories that are strange but true. Um, we're actually going to um, 
pay homage to some of the people that we lost during this last calendar year. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind. All right, uh, Jackie, you take it here. Should be and of All right, uh, Caroline, now you come in. Take it together with vigor. We'll take the kindness yet for all And welcome back, everybody, as uh, we move into the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, looking back at 2021. Normally, this is the place where we would uh, kick into the X-Files, so I thought it was a little fun to sort of introduce this segment um, with a, a little remembrance of Vaughn Meter and their take on the Kennedys in the White House and uh, the First Family and so on. Um, but I thought what we would do is this final segment, and we don't have a lot of time, just six or seven minutes. Um, an awful lot of people passed away uh, during the calendar uh, 2021. And I thought what I might do, if it's okay with all of you, is talk about uh, four that I picked out that we've mentioned before on the show from Flint, and we'd talk about them for a couple minutes, and then I'll start buzzing through the national list, which is quite lengthy, and maybe I'll just, you know, cherry pick a, a couple that we might talk about. Um, so I, I'll, I'll just begin with um, just just last month uh, in November, um, Terry Bankert, a former city clerk and ombudsman, Flint attorney, passed away at age 70. Um, Tom Skinner, 
in uh, October mm-hmm. passed away at age 63, Flint sportscaster and announcer for many years. And, of course, uh, the Flint congressman who served for 36 years also passed away in October, Dale Kildee, at age 92. And um, Flint radio legend and Wild Wednesday concert promoter Peter C. Cavanaugh passed away in August at age oh, 79. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought I'd, I'd mention those in case anybody wanted to talk about any of them before we start looking at some of the, some of the bigger names from around the country. Yeah, well, of course, with Terry Bankard, we had the pleasure of, of doing the uh, Flint Charter at your studio a while back, and uh, he was a great activist as a as an ombudsman and many many other causes around the area. Uh, got to know Terry Terry reasonably well. And hey, and if you're looking for that that last minute Christmas gift, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I have uh, audio copies. It's a three disc set of uh, um, Paul and. Uh, and me and and Terry Bankert and Charles Winfrey uh, reading the Flint City Charter. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Christmas gifts, I think I'm I'm, I'm going to be adding a Seth's book to my Christmas list <laughs> after hearing all of our discussion today. That's going to be a great. And after idea. after reading all of that, the irony is after reading all of that, it was not uh, corroborated by the council. For two years yet to come. I'm not sure the council ever read it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, the mayor bought a couple of copies, and I don't know who he gave them to, but uh, (laughs) but that that doesn't mean that you understand the content. True, (laughs) that's true. That's true. But I have discovered that you can pretty much get the whole thing in on a drive to uh, Metropolitan Airport in Detroit and back. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> that'd be a, a wise move for the for the city council i think they just had what a 10 or 12 hour meeting within the last couple of days of went until three o'clock in the morning uh, as, as they have done frequently but one more meeting like that well i think what i'll do since we're short on time there there are just so many i um i i did want to mention uh steven sondheim passed away at 91 norm mcdonald the former SNL Weekend Update host, and he passed away at 61 in September. Um, I think Norm MacDonald is the first person to regularly use the phrase fake news. Hmm. I think it was that part was of even his... even before Trump? Oh, long before Trump. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, Saturday Night Live. Maybe 10 years oh. ago or more. And and when he was hosting the weekend update, part of his right. introduction was, "Here's the fake news." Oh, I see. Yeah, oh, I think I believe I, I remember that now. It was part of the comedy yeah. setup. Anyway, I, I just just wanted to mention that. But there's Michael Nesmith and Ed Asner and Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts. It's all of those people. But um, Michigan's longest serving senator, Carl Levin. Passed That's away right. at age eighty-seven. Right. I liked Carl in July. Yeah. Um, let's see who else. Uh, in October, uh, former general and first black secretary of state Colin Powell passed away at age eighty-four. Mm-hmm. Um, controversial defense lawyer F. Lee Bailey in June passed oh, away yeah. at eighty-seven. Um, Olympia Dukakis. Oscar-winning actress, passed away at 89 in May. In uh, April, 
Um, we lost uh, Walter Mondale at age 93, Carter's uh, vice president and uh, former presidential candidate himself, as well as uh, Prince Philip, who passed away at 99, just, just a few weeks shy of his uh, 100th birthday. And former, back in uh, March, former Watergate break-in organizer G. Gordon Liddy passed oh, away yeah. at age 90. Former advisor to Bill Clinton, Vernon Jordan, passed away in March oh. at 85. Rush Limbaugh passed away in February. Yeah. Conservative that was my friend. media icon Rush Limbaugh died at age 70. Uh, from Detroit, founding member of the Supremes, and I think a, a former Detroit City Council person, Mary Wilson, passed away at 76. Um, Larry King passed away in mm. January last year, age 87. Um, and, and also in January, Hal Holbrook died, an award-winning actor at age 95, well-known for his... Uh, Ongoing one-man portrayal of uh, Mark Twain. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Oh, an another one. Uh, infomercial King Ron Popeil died in September, uh, July at age 86. And hmm. Donald Rumsfeld passed away at yeah. age 88 in June, former Secretary of Defense for two administrations. Um, I think that's... Oh, George Schultz, well, Reagan right. Secretary yeah, of State, yeah. passed away in February of 21, and he made it to 100. He was 100 years old. Mm, wow. Any, anyway, that's that's just a few. There there are so many others. Uh, actor Ned Beatty and, uh, oh, let's see, Marvin Hagler passed away at age 66. Chick oh. Corea, jazz pianist, age 79. Larry Flint of Hustler Magazine fame passed away at 78 this past year. Cicely Tyson, Cloris Leachman, they're just, um, oh, and Tommy Lasorda passed oh, away in January last year yeah. at uh, yeah. at age 93. Anyway, um, I thought we'd get a chance to honor these people a little bit more, but maybe just remembering them at this time is uh going to have to do because we're, we're just about out of time but I want to say thanks um, for a great year of shows to the roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Guys, thanks so much. You bet. Thank uh, you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone. And I want to honor uh, Paul and Seth because they have been great co-companions. I know. It's, it's a good pleasure working with Henry and Seth and, and of course Tom forever. It's the the work you put on this show is astonishing. <laughs> yeah. And and Seth, thank you so much for your support of the show and for being a participant from time to time. It's a it's a real pleasure when you can join us. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled to be here and thank you. I wish all of you a very happy holidays and to all your listeners as well. All right. Thank well, you, that uh, Smoke and George winners, let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to look at the 25th anniversary of the killing of John Benet Ramsey. Good night, Tom everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.